world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions, gamers dominate the tabletop, and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies, and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. You're a bum! You've always been a bum, and you'll always be a bum! Thanks for the pep talk, Don. I really needed that. <laughs> and tonight, we're going to be talking about competition in popular culture, or you know, kind of portrayals of competition in popular culture. How our popular culture views competition and tries to both instill it and, oddly enough, tamp it down. And to help us understand this weird dichotomy and mystery, we have recruited our ancient friend, Jack Ward. I'm out of order. You're out of order. This whole place is out of order. I just thought... Who apparently is channeling my cousin Vinny. All right, so... (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was from... uh... Wasn't that, uh, what, uh, see, I'm still suffering from the concussion. I thought it was from, uh, Injustice for All with Al Pacino. Oh, maybe it is. No, no, he's, he goes in and he goes in, I'm gonna get him. Right, he's talking to the judge, that's right. Mm -hmm. A little bit of competition between him and the judge, so there you go. There we go. Anyway. Okay, either way, both work. I mean, (laughs) our whole law system is based on competition and adversarialness, so that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. And... I'm the one who suggested this topic today because I've noticed that there seems to be a little bit of a schizophrenic view of competition in North American culture. We both, at the same time, view competition as a healthy thing, but especially in the last decade or so, we view it as a very unhealthy thing and it, we try to instill cooperation in our children and it's just kind of a bit of a mess. And so I recruited these two fine gentlemen to help me figure it out. So Don, how do I understand competition? It's a tricky thing because uh, it's going to be one of those rambling episodes because competition, especially the portrayal and attitudes to it, covers a lot of ground mm-hmm. because we have direct competition, which would be like sports. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, y- you have kind of like an underlying theme mm-hmm. of competition to society because there's two sort of things that run through a lot of our thinking that we don't realize that pertain to, to this topic. Okay. And that would be the idea of some zero mm-hmm. and the idea of dilemma of the commons. Ooh, these sound interesting. We should definitely discuss them. Hmm. One question though, are you talking about things? Is it, isn't it zero sum, not some zero? Uh, you can. I've been saying some zero for years. I think it's it's again. You can say either way. Okay. Ah, some zero, some zero, some whatever. <laughs> don't get exactly. in competition with me, Jack. I, I don't handle it well. <laughs> Different sums there. Different sums there. I was never good at math. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, um, yeah, it's gonna be one of those shows, folks. We're all kind of punchy, having been trapped indoors for a while. 
Well, that kind of competition can can kill people. <laughs> if mm. I wanna if I wanna go outside and compete with people right now, that could be the end of civilization. So there is that aspect as well, right? But I, I you know, you, mm. we I like the the long uh, the long scope of what Don identified because I think mm-hmm. those are are sort of the larger scale systemic aspects that happen. Right. And I want to mm-hmm. I want to ask questions like how did this get us red versus blue or mm-hmm. Trek versus Star Wars or Mac versus Microsoft right <laughs> because those those things end up being almost tribal where somebody grabs onto something and has to make it like and I've 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 had to deal with that conversation all my life well which is better Star Trek versus Star Wars and I'm like they're totally different things. Actually, actually, Jack, sorry to interrupt you on this one. We can discuss that a little bit later, but you brought up a key word, I think, there in what you were just talking about, which is tribal. Because I think a lot of our views of competition do basically come down to, you know, the very roots of human civilization, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we do exist in a, what is effectively a survival of the fittest world. And in, this includes right. human civilizations, like right from the very beginning and human interactions. Like if, if my group, you know, does better things than your group, your group can die and my group can prosper or vice versa, or you can end up joining my group or whatever. And so I think humans are definitely cued to learn about competition from each other. We're always watching those around us and going, well, are they doing things better than us so that we can maybe keep up or compete with them or even outcompete them? So I think there's a natural draw to competition, like built right into us. Um, For sure. One of the things I've noticed, yeah. um, especially since the 1990s, this is going to go in a direction Jack won't like, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, is it a trope? Is it a trope? No, it's even worse. It's about <laughs> anime and manga. Um, oh, okay. In anime and manga, since about the, well, since Dragon Ball basically has been nothing but stories about competition. Like at a certain point, everything in anime manga. Correction, everything in shonen anime manga, like the boys stuff, basically turned into stories about characters just competing against each other, like tournaments and compare or ranked competition, organized competition. There was always competition there before, mm. but since then, everything is competition. And I was even reading a discussion the other day, which is partly what inspired me to start thinking about this, where a guy was complaining. He was, um, there's a manga that I'm very fond of right now called Act Age, which is about actors. It's actually about young actors trying to work up in the Japanese system. It's it's a shonen manga. It's about competition. And one of the um, commenters was commenting like, oh, what's next? People trying to compete over who can have the bigger turd? Um, who, who can, which, how many, ner- how nurses can like save more patients than another nurse? Like th- the Japanese are going too crazy with this competition stuff. And... Well, I'm not sure about the turd comment. I do think that um, there is something to his point, which is that the Japanese have basically found this structure where it's like competition just sells, like especially for um, younger audiences who want to learn about this stuff. They're just endlessly fascinated by it. And so competition has become a a core part of at least Japanese boys stuff. Um, Maybe you could even argue in girls stuff has always had competition. That's what low triangles are, right? Right. So there's always it's strange been... though too. I mean, mm-hmm. even even in in like to move move back to the West a little more. Right. Even in politics, it's because uh, and I don't mean politics itself because politics is is inherently competitive. Mm-hmm. I mean the way it's described through the media. They've stopped sort of sitting there trying to uh, do a lot of fact checking 
they want the horse race because they know it'll have more eyeballs. Which so you know they yep. they even though they may have disliked Trump, they gave him a lot of free publicity because they knew it would be a really great match, him versus Hillary mm-hmm. in 2016, oh, yeah. right? And him versus Biden. They're gearing up for that. It's great ratings, right? Mm-hmm. So when people can jump on one side or the other, it becomes that um, that that favorite sort of like and and football and sports and all those kinds of uh, sports geeky kind of stuff that that people mm-hmm. get into. People are nuts about being able to pick one side or another. The competition is everything. Right. Like I said, we're drawn to it, I think. Well, well, you you guys have kind of both hit upon something interesting. Mm -hmm. That it illustrates something, but I don't know if it's the origin or if it's symptom or if it's it's entirely reciprocal. Oh, and and by the way, as I recall that who has the biggest herd thing, that was uh, RateMyPoo.com. That's actually already been done. Oh, Oh, dear God. Oh, no. Check the show notes, folks. (laughs) Or don't. (laughs) But but anyway, it goes to the idea of... of, um, We talked before about how in the age of a diversified media, people are always willing to sell you your own outrage back to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful tools, and Jack kind of brought this up accidentally, but you'll both remember because you're old like I am, one of the most powerful tools of doing that is the idea of some zero. Right. And the best example of that, that again, I don't know if it's a symptom or a cause or kind of in between. When Jack mentioned Star Trek versus Star Wars, if you remember, say, late 80s going into the 90s, that was a big nerdly debate that you were a fan of one or the other and you hated the other one because apparently there was only so much uh, science fiction to go around, right? And mm-hmm. if if you Star Trek fans were using up more of it than us Star Wars fans couldn't get our share of the science fiction that was out there kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. And and that's been a thing for a while. Around the same time, it was the uh, Judas Priest versus Iron Maiden. You can only be a fan of one, not both. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that sports idea. Sports is a little different because there's direct competition, but it, right. it looks the same. Yeah. And it's, it's that idea that, mm. again... It feels like a sporting event that one of us has to quote unquote win, mm-hmm. even though we're not really winning anything because we're not competing for any kind of resource. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Star Wars and Star Trek can both go on their own merry ways fine without ever crossing over, interacting, and just because say one is 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 um is is on the upswing, it doesn't mean the other is necessarily on the downswing it's it's you can still be right. a fan they're not gonna come to your house and like grab all your your videotapes or whatever well oh hold but, on a sec that's not entirely hmm. true like okay for uh, at least in the 80s and 90s and i'd say the 2000s it's kind of shifted a little bit because we've got so much streaming stuff now but let's go back in time a little bit there to the 80s and 90s for example if things let me let me rephrase for a second okay from a Hollywood perspective and from a media production perspective, well, you got to remember that people who produce media are incredibly risk adverse. Okay, so going mm-hmm. with that idea, they generally tend to just go with whatever is popular at the time or what they think is popular. So if the media sees something like Star Wars being popular, they'll produce more of that and they'll produce less of things that are not like that. 
And if they see more of Star Trek being popular, they'll produce more stuff that's like that, and they'll ignore the more action-y, say, Star Wars stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. So there is actually a limited amount of resources in your example. At least there were, up until streaming video has kind of shifted that market, but but at least for a good decade or two, or a couple decades, that was the case, right? Fandom was putting its energy one way or another. Here, I'll give you another example. It's more modern, Okay. Think of all the okay. resources that are going into producing superhero movies right now. What if you like mm-hmm. other kinds of action movies? There, what are what other kinds of action movies and stuff are not being made or science fiction are not being made because all the money is going into superhero stuff? There is limited resources for producing I'm, some of this I stuff. I will pay money so we have less Fast and the Furious. Is there a way of doing that? <laughs> well, there, I wish there was, dude. There, I wish there was. Oh, well, I just watched there, the, the one where they had... Um, the Rock and uh, the 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 guy who was the transporter. I forget his name. Jason Statham. Oh, you yeah, watched Jason Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, Hobbs versus Shaw. Oh my God, it was terrible. And and and, and you know what I mean. I like watching terrible movies too. But they're just sometimes you just sit there and you go, "This is impossible. <laughs> Why is this even a thing?" It was impossible, so. but I don't know. It was it was cute and uh, Idris, yes. and Idris Elba was in it. So those two things make it I work love- for me. Yeah, Idris Elba is amazing. I, I, I'll he's, watch a, it. he's a treasure to mankind. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> but see, you're you're you now 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 Jack has hit on it because there is a way to get them to stop making those movies, and it kind of ties into Rob's point. That kind of goes back to where I said that idea. I don't know if it's a cause or a symptom mm-hmm. because it it it. I have my own example of this from a few years earlier that that I'll get into. But the idea being. If people don't watch them, they stop making True. them. And what ends up happening is, and this is where it gets a little tricky, just because, say, Star Wars is more popular, they make more, they make less Star Trek, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're still competing for resources in the way people think they are. It's because one is more popular than the other, and, and, and that's not a direct relationship. Um, the example I'll use to kind of illustrate it was... When I was a kid, I got into comic books super hardcore at a really young age. Mm-hmm. I remember the comic shop boom of the late 70s going into the 80s. Right. And I thought it was great because it was an underground and independent boom. Mm-hmm. You, you, didn't, you didn't go to the comic shop to buy Batman. You went there to buy, you know, like Grimjack or, or Judge Dredd uh, or something. Grimjack. That... Mm, I love yeah. Grimjack. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it wasn't like your mainstream. It wasn't your superhero stuff. Yep. When you got to, say, the uh, black and white glut, you had a collapse of the independent industry. Mm-hmm. The comic shops moved to the mainstream stuff. The mainstream stuff took over. When I was younger, I felt that they had kind of horned in mm-hmm. and squeezed out the stuff that I liked. When, in reality, what happened... That's not exactly what happened. What happened was the stuff I liked imploded, and then all of the people in panties and tights moved in to fill that void. The void happened first. It wasn't that they were in direct competition. And then that's kind of what you, you see with, with a lot of um, what we were getting at, again, the, the Star Wars, Star Trek thing. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're directly competing. It's that when one is up, the other one is down because of circumstances that really don't connect directly to, to either of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But what we... But what we end up getting, partly because of, you know, the solipistic way our, our brains work, and in the modern era, partly how marketing works, is it ties into that 
team thing. Mm-hmm. It ties into that tribal instinct. We pick a side, and then the other guys are just inherently wrong and evil. Yes, they are. Because they absolutely are. Dude. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's easy for our brain to com- to, to comprehend. Because again, to take the comic thing about you know five to ten years ago, mm-hmm. I remember you could see how all of the the old school like superhero fans would like curse up a blue streak that that horrible Japanese stuff was popular. And they felt the same way I did back in the day that that horrible Japanese stuff was squeezing out Batman when in reality it had filled the void that happened when the quote unquote mainstream comic industry collapsed back in like the late nineties. And will again, very shortly, very, very shortly. If Snowflake is safe space is any example of what's coming up. <laughs> well, we can talk about oh. that another show, but yes, yes, that was the... just a little, that's a little hyperlink there for you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting yeah. though because there is a there is a desire to have those because my first um, host who helped develop the Sonic Society with me and and developed a lot of original audio drama with me, Andrew Dorfman, when he left and started doing his own thing. He created a company. Well, I don't know if it's a company. I know it's a it's a a group, and they have a West Coast one and an East Coast one. I think the West Coast one is is going uh, strong, and the East Coast one that he created is kind of imploded on its own. But for years, it was sort of half comedy, half geek geek uh, fest. They would have about once a month in a bar, geeks versus nerds. And you can still probably find the website versus this. So they they would take something and they and it would they wouldn't be on the same level, but they would say, "Greatest space captain Han Solo versus Malcolm Reynolds." And so the geeks would pick Han Solo, and the nerds would pick Malcolm Reynolds, and then they would argue back and forth for an hour using you know comedy and stuff like that. And actually, uh, Nathan Fillion called in because they did it at a, at the sci-fi conference. Right. Called in. Uh-huh. And of course, they, he had to win then, right? You know, right, it's not yeah. like you get Harrison Ford to call in for Han Solo. <laughs> I killed him off. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> but, th- yeah, but there is that desire by, by uh, you know, geeks or nerds to have those kind of conversations. I just watched a video, like, which is the better... Uh, Enterprise uh, Captain Kirk Picard. Hint, it's Kirk. Um, but the, the, and that's what they came to as the conclusion, mm-hmm. of course. But they nerds and geeks love to go to the minutia about something because it shows mm-hmm. some kind of education, some kind of authoritative understanding of the workings of their of their the thing that they enjoy the most. I think that's definitely yeah. part of it. There's no question. But you actually brought up something else that um, that makes me wonder about Don's zero-sum comment, though, which is that online in our current world, the most important thing is um, attention, eyeballs, right? And going back even to right. what Don said earlier about you know people, uh, if people stop watching them, they'll stop making them. But there are a finite number of people. There's a finite number of people. There's a finite amount of attention. There are finite factors involved here. And if people are paying attention to one thing, they're not paying attention to another thing. At least, again, traditionally, a streaming has kind of upended some of this. Although even then, the streamers are still like looking at ratings and going, well, what are people make, paying attention to? Okay, uh, have people make more of that stuff. Like, There's no question Netflix, Hulu, 
um, you know, Amazon TV, they're all doing that and they can see it's like network 23. They can all see it in real time. They literally are able to watch in real time how many people are watching different streaming shows, how much they watched of it, how many times they rewatch it. All that information, all that data is right there at their fingertips. And there's no but doubt they're using it. are so much smaller now from when you and I, we all grew up. Because it was the three networks, basically, and then Fox showed up. And then those were where you had the Nielsen ratings for those kind of things. And those were the huge numbers because nobody had anything else to watch, right? So now Mm -hmm. Netflix is competing with TikTok, you know, and all these other kinds of things. So their understanding of us, they've never expected to have the numbers. Like, I don't think, can you say there's a show, even Game of Thrones? Can you say Game of Thrones had higher numbers than like the the season finale of mash uh i don't you think that's can, possible maybe because again there's so much uh pirated numbers that we're not able to track and things yeah, like that okay that we don't know i mean but... the night of its release that's really the only fair way to do that yeah right if we yeah, did that we actually do know out. we actually know what game of thrones got actually i've seen it somewhere and the answer is if i recall it i'm not sure it's quite mash level but it's it's right up there hold on hold on actually i know what i know how to find it. i can find it right now um, okay you while you find that did you know the the, the amazing uh, trivia about that what that that um the the New York um, uh, sewage system broke down because of MASH. Mm. Because everybody waited to a certain time to go to the washroom, and they all flushed their toilets at the same time. I have never <laughs> broke heard the that. System. Yeah, the, the commercial breaks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, But it was, I guess it was like so much stress going on that it was a particular commercial break that that happened, too. Um Huh. Wow! So, yeah, I had no it's, idea. It's interesting. Yeah, um, actually, I, I think the according to at least Wikipedia, um, it looks like probably now. This is where things get tricky. We're looking at American ratings, right? Okay, right. but by TV viewership by Nielsen, uh, Mash is the literally the most watched drama. The finale of Mash is the most watched drama thing of all time. I say drama right. because there are 20 spots here and all of them are Super Bowls. Except yes, for yeah. number nine, which is MASH. And that's 105 million. Well, it's basically 100, 106 million is what it rounds out to. Now, there's a catch, though, of course, very obviously, that um, Game of Thrones finale probably reached w- several times that because that's only America's numbers, whereas Game of Thrones finale was shown internationally, all the, like including in China. Sure. And things like that. So at that point, we start quickly getting into numbers that are just insane. Yeah. That's another, that's another element that we don't really think about is that we're now, we're now more than ever looking at global releases of things. They may be slightly different in, in the release time frame. Yeah. But I mean, for during our, our age, when we, when we were younger, uh, you know, people might have gotten in South America and in Asia, they might have gotten the shows that we got about 10 years later. Yeah, know? they did. Like, they usually did. Yeah. So they 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 didn't have the same kind of uh, distribution where things got off really quickly. But now mm-hmm. that's what they're banking on because they need that that money, that cash. So even Netflix original shows, you'll see an extra minute and a half of credits of all the different translations to various different languages right. of an original yeah. show. Yeah. So. Here's an interesting note. Um, so they also on Wikipedia have a list of, I can put in the show notes, of uh, 
the most watched series finales. Okay, obviously MASH won. Uh, when right. it being this went on competition. Um, what's interesting, you know, that at about number, looks like at about number 15, no, 16, because uh, they're, they're not numbered here, but next number 16 is, is Star there, Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, yep. there it is. Because I remember, do you remember that they had like the Sky Dome there and people actually got tickets to go see it? Yep, I do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I knew Next Gen was going to be up. There yeah, ne- Next Gen was there. Yeah. It was being by Frasier, Dallas, Family Ties, All in the Family, The Cosby Show, Magnum PI, wow. Friends, Seinfeld, The Fugitive, Cheers, and Ruth. Actually, The Fugitive is number four. Wow, it's still number freaking four. It beat Seinfeld. Like, but it's back in the sixties. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, actually, nineteen sixty-seven. Wow. Yeah. 67, wow. 1967, The Fugitive. In fact, it's the only one from the 60s that's on this list. Like the, I, I can imagine Magnum being up there, though. I remember it was a really powerful season, series finale as well. Right. I only watched Magnum off and on, so I never actually watched the series finale for it. But, mm-hmm. but, but every one of these shows is shows that are, you know, considered classic television of one form or another yeah Yeah, they're all the ones that we all know um so speaking of ratings competition ratings battles and such there we go yeah um it it isn't and that kind of bumps into another issue that you get to when you talk about competition Mm -hmm. is our definition of winning Mm -hmm. tends to be a little skewed because when you talk about say entertainment right people generally only talk about the top that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. Like if if because I was I was reading something about that. I can't remember what it was. It was a uh, they were discussing a TV show mm-hmm. that it never got top ratings, but it lasted ten seasons. I forget what it was, and they were discussing how this was like like an abysmal failure. And I'm like, it lasted ten years. That's not a failure, right? Mm. But but again, especially when we look at that pop culture net we tend to only consider the top spot or the top few spots as the viable you know victor position there's never that idea that Mm -hmm. you can produce your thing and make a go of it make a living of it and make something that's that's worthwhile even if it's never up at the at at the top i i i think of uh dave sims Mm -hmm. who did a cerebus the aardvark Right, yeah. That last lasted for like twenty years. There's like three hundred issues of of this comic, and he had made the statement back in the eighties that it was possible as a cartoonist to make a living Mm -hmm. with an audience of twenty thousand. And it was a lot of his stuff. I don't know if you had that. Well, it's more in my my area, but a lot of those were in high schools Mm -hmm. and middle schools. Mm You know, they, they were, so he got a chance to, to sell out in various different markets that way as well. And it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like I'm, I'm, as I said earlier before, well, we were on, not on, on Mike, I'm like obsessed right now with the John Carter for various different reasons. And, uh, Brian, who was on your absolutely hates Brian Welcher, <laughs> absolutely despises John Carter. He thinks mm-hmm, it's the mm-hmm. worst piece of crap ever. And he said it was an abysmal failure. And I was watching a video and they went, actually, that's really wrong it made 284 million dollars that's mm-hmm. not an abysmal failure by any stretch the only problem was it cost 120 to make and so that's right. why people kept saying that but it brought in the money that would have by any means been a hit and nobody it was poorly managed marketing wise so mm-hmm. we we changed the numbers my, my point being is 
we change the numbers and we change the ideas of what a hit is, right? So people mm-hmm. make fun of Dark Shadows for the longest time, but it went on forever. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I never saw it. Did you guys see Dark Shadows? No, before my time. I did. Yeah, because I did. I couldn't. I don't think it was ever on any station that I would ever ever watched. And but the people I know in the states, my age, were just like obsessed with it. And so I didn't didn't know anything about it until I heard them talk about it. Kind of thing. It was very strange wow. that way. So it's sort of like Fire Sign Theater, the audio drama group. I had never encountered them until wow. you know years later because I'd never heard of them before. So that's. What I get, I grew up in a family of malcontents and subverts. So yeah, I grew up with Firesign Theater and Dark Shadows and all that. Right. There you go. And it, and it was because like my mother and my grandparents that would say, "Oh, you ever see this show?" And I'm like, "No, what is it? It's like it's a soap opera." And I'm like, "So what?" But there's like vampires and werewolves in it. And like, I am intrigued. Tell me more. <laughs> and and I would like we to watched... subscribe to your fanzine, please. Yeah. yeah pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, basically. So yeah. apparently, Dark Shadows ran from 1965 to 1971. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so and since you were just born, Don, I'm assuming you were watching like reruns slash yes. something apparently like that. They had yep. them in reruns, like we watched Gilligan's Island. Oh, I yeah, see. we watched it on Channel 62. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, they would have been showing it as basically rerun filler kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, I. I I remember it because I watched it because it was my uh, my mother recommended it, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it. It was on in the, like the late afternoon. And if I'm not mistaken, I have distinct memories of be, like four and five year old me watching the New Zoo Review mm-hmm. and then Dark Shadows. Because that's just how TV scheduling worked back in the 70s. <laughs> New Zoo Review and then Dark Shadows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. O- okay. <laughs> That sounds about right, actually. It's <laughs> kind of scary how accurate that is. <laughs> yeah, the, the 70s were a crazy, crazy time when basically all television was Netflix because nobody knew what the hell to do. So people, yeah, were just programming stuff. Okay, just put something on. And that's that's what they yeah. did. Yeah. Whatever was affordable. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. And a lot of it was affordable because, again... And it sort of ties in with this idea of winners and losers that things that were cons- are considered classic television now mm-hmm. were disposable. They were, they were throwaway shows. And that was one of the reasons everybody would see them mm-hmm. because they were cheap. None of the, the, the people who own the rights, like if, if you wanted to spend a couple bucks to show Green Acres reruns, more power to you. It's a couple bucks to us. And nowadays, again, that's considered like classic television from the golden age kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you can throw on Petticoat Junction as a, as a sequel. <laughs> yeah, and, and they did. They that that was the yep. the only reason because I've mentioned it before that the Hooterville trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yep. The only reason I know about that was because when I was a kid and I'd be homesick from school, they would show the Hillbillies, Petticoat yep. Junction, and Green Acres together. Mm. Right. And that's how I noticed it was. It's 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 like Jeb's cousin or sisters, the 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 owner of like the. Uh, the, the Hooterville Hotel and Petticoat Junks and, and then the, the guy, I can't remember his name, who was like the bad salesman guy from Green Acres would make appearances at the hotel. And I remember as a kid going, oh, that all kind of, they're all the same guys. What the hell is this? <laughs> okay. You see, I could never actually watch Petticoat Junction or um, Green Acres. I actually, as a kid, I always found them really 
odd and boring. I loved the Beverly Hillbillies mm-hmm. to death, but the but the other two I could yeah I had no taste for. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, okay, uh, there we go. I think we so they lost in your competitive experience. This is exactly saying. right. <laughs> this is exactly right. So why don't we go back? to kind of uh, one of the things I started out talking about, though. The idea of our society encouraging of uh, competition, but at the same time encouraging um, oh, co- co- cooperation as well. Now, I, yeah. I for me, maybe it's especially noteworthy because, of course, you know, I read a lot of Japanese stuff and their stuff is all about cooperation. Like, I mean... For the most part, it is. I mean, they do deviate sometimes, but most shonen stuff, for example, is ultimately about. Well, here the motto for Shonen Jump is: uh, was it, was it friendship, effort, victory? Characters always win in a shonen story because of friendship and by working with other people. And if you're aware of that and you read shonen stuff, you'll see that no character ever wins on their own. They always have to win in one form or another by other people supporting them or helping them. Now, they might actually win of, um, how can I put this? They might actually win because they've uh, received advice from people or things like that. It doesn't mean the other people are standing in, standing in and helping them directly. Sometimes it's indirect, but there always has to be an element of aid somewhere. Nobody, basically, nobody's an island. Everyone needs other people to help them achieve their goals is the idea, Right. Yeah, there, there is a catch. There. Oh, okay. Because what what you're getting at with when you're talking about how we have this kind of like bipolar view of competition, mm-hmm. you have to remember that again, society isn't a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of different things that kind of bump into each right, other. That's true. And different aspects, different components have a different view of competition Mm -hmm. because any group any organization any institution operates in its own interest yes that's true and and what you get so when you talk about like the shonen stuff Mm -hmm. out of japan Mm -hmm. a lot of that is aimed at say younger kids or like young to mid level teenagers Mm -hmm. and in order to 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 sell to them you key in with stuff that they're already getting their heads filled with so it, it feels right and you don't want to piss off the parents and the parents groups so you put that idea in and it's kind of we do the same thing here all the time it's that proactive collective work together society is good kind of thing because mm-hmm. remember in in japan and here the anti-hero tends to pop up a lot right and we've talked about that too because for different groups different individuals different perspectives different ideas Mm -hmm. the idea of the lone wolf is what succeeds is an attractive one so you'll get that idea and then depending on how public taste is swishing at the moment is which direction things overall tend to gravitate towards right okay that's true that's very true but Traditionally, the American perspective on thing, to use a polar example, is the you know, the lone hero who, as you just said, the lone wolf who goes out doesn't doesn't need any help, exists on their own, and just goes out and just gets the job done. Right, the man who stands up regardless of society, regardless of help, and does what he needs to do. I mean, it comes out of American mythology. It comes out of the Western. We've got that idea. 
And in fact, I've noticed that this is one of the problems that um, many young writers tend to have, some older ones too, um, which is this idea that they don't view characters as being part of a setting. They don't view characters as being par part of... Um, or, let me rephrase, rephrase it another way. They view characters as... The character is separate from the setting and inflicts themselves upon it, not that the character is part of the setting and an outgrowth of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It it does, but again, there's an ebb and flow because we've mentioned Magnum P.I. Right. Magnum P.I. was crazy popular, and what they had done is they took the, the, the 80s, you know, action, tough guy, crime-fighting hero character, and they subverted it because if you, if, if you saw it... Mm -hmm. He was very uh, beholden, isn't the word, but again, it was more that that shonen idea that if he didn't have his friends, mm -hmm. he would have failed, and that was kind of one of the running themes of the show. Right, that's true, and that kind of subverted a lot of those ideas. I mean, here the Americans have done like team or group stuff. I mean, drawing from the very from the Magnificent Seven to the A Team. I mean, or even Star Trek: The Next mm -hmm. Generation. There's that idea of you know, working together to be stronger and better. That is there in American society, but it doesn't seem to get as much play, especially these days, um, as well, it once did. I'd say, again, it ebbs and flows, because going back to the 70s with all the uh, proactive, good vibe, you know, teach the kids moral lessons, edutainment stuff, that was a big component of it, because, again, it was it was that that kind of collective togetherness, you know, we're we're all like part of the same system, you know, hippie, happy kind of thingy stuff. That that was a big thing, and then that's why I think when you got to the eighties, or at least the end of the seventies, and you had the exploitation, dirty, hairy, tough guy cop thing. I think part of that was a reaction to all of the happy, hippy, dippy stuff, because again, entertainment is always based on novelty. You've only got so many permutations, and that's why you get that pendulum swing. I can see that. I can, I can definitely see that. Although I, in some ways, would argue that I think some of it's the result of uh, the times we're in. Well, obviously it is. So, mm -hmm. for example, you go to the 70s. The 70s were hard times, basically, because of the oil shocks and everything else. The, the, the bad crap was happening. So, therefore, mm -hmm. we tend to get the lone wolf stuff. We shift to the 80s. Okay, what's happening in the 80s? Well, 80s is a feel-good decade for the most part. You know, the, the economy's doing pretty well. People are generally pretty happy. Hair is huge. As an end result, it's, it's Star Trek The Next Generation. Let's all work together. Actually, even going back to the 60s, the 60s was also a fairly together decade. So we got, at least the early 60s, so we, so we got, you know, star the original Star Trek. And mm -hmm. continuing on that thing, then we get to the 90s. The 90s, of course, is uh, economic downtime. Think times are hard. Suddenly, we're back to the extreme lone wolf hero again. And we get a kind of a Western resurgence going on during that period. We get to the 2000s. They get kind of messed up by... Um, by 9-11, so they still tend to actually be more like kind of a loner hero era. I would argue the 2000s have been a little more, you know, we should be working together kind of thing, but it's kind of been a little more, it's, how can I put this? It's become less clear. Like even in society, I would argue the last 20 years have been really a weird mix. It, they're going back and forth so fast, it's hard to tell what their direction is anymore. Well, I, can I, I, yeah. I think there's another element in there that we're not Concerning. Did you ever get a chance to listen to the Anand Gar 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 uh 
book that I suggested, Winners Take All? Oh, that's an interesting point. No, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Jack, let's talk about it. Sounds like it's appropriate. So what he does is he talks about, like, so Anand Gardardis is, was, among other things, he's one of the uh, main publishers, I suppose, of Time Magazine, or editors in Time Magazine. And he's been very successful, and he's sort of lived among the upper elites. And he started to recognize that um, people who even consider themselves to be liberal um, are are operating from a perspective that government really has no business solving the problems of, of what people need to do in society. That can be done by the rich people, like the Bill Gates and stuff like that. Um, okay. And so the, this is where the arguments are that, you know, the Clintons fell off, you know, from what they once believed that you could do things in government, got so frustrated because they politically couldn't do it, went to the private sector where they could do it quietly on their own. But what ends up happening, he argues, and I don't want to give away too much because I think you should really listen to it because it is very well written to put out the, mm-hmm. the argument. He says anytime somebody tells him that this is a win-win, he starts to get upset because it never really is a win-win because mm-hmm. nobody who is really wealthy goes into something to try to give a win to another group without them... With, the main focus is that they're going to enrich themselves through this one way or another. And actually, what needs to be done mm-hmm. is not really what's done, but something along the edges, which looks like it's more effective, but it really isn't. So they end up becoming more wealthy. This is why we have much more wealth um, uh, uh difference between the rich and the poor as time gone by with all these great people putting in all of their effort like what does bill gates really know about malaria anyway Mm -hmm. it's not the same thing as creating software but we think hey he's a billionaire obviously he's got the right idea right how does facebook really get into politics in the first place what is the what does the the creator of facebook actually know about how communities and political systems work there's no there's no direct connection, but they think that they can sort of come up with an app for that to make it work. And therefore, it's win-win because they'll make some more money doing something here and create an app that does this. And uh, this solves a particular problem in this space, but it really doesn't solve the problem. It just sort of buffs over the edges and makes it a little glowier. And then people end up buying an app, which they don't really need to do when they could have done something else entirely different. So there's an interesting the, – the arguments that he has in there and the, and the development of how he starts off looking at like eight or ten different people who get pulled into this idea of the win-win, which has been what we've been focused on for the last 20 years through our politics, through our stuff is the idea that we can all win. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. not really what happens. And so what really happens in the end is that there still are definitive winners. And there still are definitive losers. And so if, if we're really going to make big changes, somebody's going to get some pain somewhere down the line. But our society has kind of moved away from that idea because we all need to be happy together. And we don't want to deal with these really difficult issues that, you know what, sometimes it means that you're going to have to do with a little less if the, all these people are going to do with a little more. Oh, we can't have that. That's 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 removing. So I would argue that this idea of cooperation, which happens naturally in its own state, 
oh, is yeah. not really what's happening right now, that it is more of a marketing tool than anything else. It's not true yeah. cooperation because you only get true cooperation in these situations when everybody is of equal mind and equal value to be able to operating and putting in everything they can. If you've got the same skin on the table for something that I do, mm-hmm. then we ha- then we're equals. It's why uh, true communities. Uh, if you take a look at M. Scott Peck's work, mm-hmm. tr- he wrote a book called The Different Drum. Um, he said true communities have to be in crisis, right? So he says like the honest, the the real communities are in crisis because all your crap has to be pushed away. You you can't you can't go in there with any kind of ego and be a real part of a community. So things like AA are true communities because you go in there knowing I'm broken and I need you. Right. But if you've got really, really wealthy people coming to the table, they don't need us and we need them. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, whatever they offer, we're going to take because we're the ones and there's there's such a imbalance there. Mm -hmm. But if you're in trouble, Don, and you're in trouble, Rob, and we desperately need each other and we have the same resources or uh, uh, resources that can complement each other, then we can create true community and and that's where win-win happens. But we don't see that in the same situation. Even in the Marvel movies, you've got these these people who are like gods that are doing things Mm -hmm. for us poor mortals. And, And those conversations that we used to have in Marvel comics about, well, we need damage control because they, they had to come and fix up after like what happens after Superman and Batman, you know, destroy everything around them. You know, who's going, who's going to solve that particular problem. Those things have been put around because people like uh, saviors and they like winners and they think for the people who have the most power in the world have the best solution. Yeah, I, I hmm. think in a weird way, both your points tie in. Mm-hmm. Because again, when you talk entertainment, it's 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 like society. There's there's always what's prevalent, but you usually have kind of the 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 backlash to that, the counter reply, the opposite bubbling under the surface. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing getting into what Jack is saying. Part of the problem you run into with anybody working together is you're all coming at it from a different position. So what you think is a win might mm-hmm. be different from the other people. in Because, like, talking about solving society's ills, if you're fabulously wealthy, your idea of what counts as an ill is probably different from mine. You know? Very possibly, big, yeah. Big time. Big time. And, yeah. and, it, and again, it, it runs into that thing, and this gets into another kind of weird aspect, mm-hmm. I think, to, to the whole issue. It runs into that problem that we we tend to kind of vilify people who are out of touch and don't get it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but boomer. it's not necessarily. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but it's it's not that they're they're necessarily evil or willfully doing wrong or opposing us. Mm-hmm. It's that they have a genuinely different understanding of things, right? And reconciling that can be difficult because going back to something that comes up a lot in this show, Mm -hmm. the idea that we think in terms of story is part of the problem with that because in a story, there tends to be a villain Mm -hmm. and a hero. And we tend to think of ourselves as the hero. 
And by default, anyone who's different from that, who's opposing our goal, who doesn't see things our way, we tend to to frame off as the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And, and that's not necessarily true because, again, there's a lot of cases where that villain isn't a, a, a bad guy. They're not evil. They're working from a different angle, possibly for a different purpose. And it's the reconciling the two that's the difficult, but then that's how you achieve that that win-win. Whereas what, what Jack was getting at, the reason a lot of people think they are, but they aren't, is because from their perspective alone, mm-hmm. they've solved the problem and possibly increased their prestige or, or wealth or position with that solution. So, of course, that's the right one, not understanding any of the underlying problems for the rest of us. Right. Okay. And it happens in in like in story mm. too. I think if you t- like that, I made that argument before that the Wizard of Earthsea didn't take off because uh, even though it's brilliantly written, and I love Ursula K. Le Guin, and I really love the the story, ultimately is unsatisfying for a Western audience because you know the the evil is himself; it's his shadow. And right. he has to accept mm-hmm. his shadow and then do that. We like something that we can defeat. We want to have, you know, um, the, the eye of Mordor as our enemy. We want to have uh, <laughs> something specific that we can say, this, these people are bad and these people are good. And we know who to, how to, who to root for, you know, in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a reason why during the coronavirus outbreak, what is it? Uh, in America, guns and ammunition sales have gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of reasons for it. I mean, one of them is obviously because they they're expecting to have to fight for food with their neighbors for cat food. But um uh-huh. there's also the idea that they that they they want if they want that sense of control, right? They want that sense of yeah. power they want Absolutely. and things that we can't shoot, things we can't touch, we can't control. Mm-hmm. And so they scare the hell right. out of people. Yeah. Yeah, there's, and it's, there's it's the that, Americans I'm just going to say very quickly, I'd like to bring this up for our American audience because it's always startling to them comparisons between Canadian and American. So the American, they love to say the American uh, character is often defined by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is the Canadian alternative to that? It's in our constitution, peace, order, and good government. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are totally different values, right? So so uh, hopefully those values will do us well come this coronavirus a little better because people are looking towards, uh, you know, the idea of working together more effectively to try to make this, uh, this, this taken care of. We're not out there getting guns to be afraid of our neighbors in the same mm-hmm. direction. We're hoping that government will have a, a better handle on how to do this and look towards what their solutions are. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there, there's that, and there's a weird aspect when you talk about the uh, mm-hmm. the states compared to a lot of other countries, mm-hmm. is that for a long time in, in, in the U.S., and I believe there's a Simpsons episode about this. There always is. One of, the, one of the weird things why it seems like they fetishize firearms to other countries is because, like, gun ownership has been sold as a solution to problems. That's true. And and again, it's 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 that marketing. It's that idea that if I own a gun, I am now protected from mm-hmm. crime. I can 
hunt for food, and when the government gets out of hand, I can take care of all those black helicopters and tanks that show up at my house. Whether any of that is, is inherently true or not, that's kind of, it, it's a sales point. And like, say, in Canada, we were never sold that idea. We were never sold that the way to stop crime and protect my family is to buy a gun. Mm-hmm. Like, here it's to win right. the lottery and move up north and build a moat around our house. That's kind of the Canadian way of dealing yeah, with it. Yeah, that's true. We, we <laughs> take more of the survivalist approach. Yeah, I would say it's like, not like survivalist. The... I would say it's frontier. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true because we're not like arming ourselves to the teeth I found and this expecting when anyone I... to attack us. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jack. Yeah, when I, when I, I, I discovered this when I went to uh, Perry Sound and I saw like the stark difference between like Ontario North and Ontario South. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that mm-hmm. where I grew up, we built solid structures of society so there was you know a a library and there was a community center and there were all these things that because we were farmers so we we had very definitive put down roots area but when you went to perry sound there was actually that entire community perry sound had moved three times in 90 years they picked up Mm -hmm. and they were on perry island for a while then they were further north and stuff like that and so the, the the whole yeah the whole personality of the town was very different once people, you know, once they were done the workday, most people didn't hang out with each other. They went to their own place and you didn't even hear from them until the next day kind of thing. So it was just very much a different kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. I could, yeah, okay, I could see that. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a very different attitude. I mean, yeah, we Canadians are not all collectivist communists. That is true. That is very true. We we do have our isolationist <laughs> side, which is probably why I think Canadians are going to have a relatively easy time dealing with. Um, right now, when we're recording this, the our country is in literal lockdown right now, social distancing and all that for the coronavirus, and mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a relatively easy time dealing with that aspect of it because most Canadians are like, oh, so it's just like winter, okay, and then, and then they'll <laughs> just you know people just spend time at home playing games or hanging out or whatever. And, um, you know, actually, I've got a completely different perspective. This is just completely off the rails for a second, but whatever. Um, about the, actually, I'm worried that the coronavirus is going to result in overpopulation. <laughs> okay. Because after all, think about what's going to happen in nine months when all these people have been stuck at home with nothing to do. Hmm. Ta-da. Anyway, we're in fact, actually, as I was saying to one of my friends, there, that's the next baby boom. They're going to be the next boomers. The current generation of boomers, the greatest generation is, in, or no, sorry, the current boomer generation is almost, you know, is heading towards the heading towards the exit. Well, the new boom is that's going to kind of like break society as it goes through is going to be the coronavirus kids or Generation C. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! Hmm. At least that's my take on it, anyway. That's very interesting. Yeah, and we'll we'll right. know in nine months. But I'm willing to bet money. In nine <laughs> months, there's going to be a whole lot of kids born. <laughs> well, it'll be really interesting huh. to see uh, if there was a big drop in divorces in 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 all of this, or an uptick after. People yeah. In China, they've had a, a huge uptick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, in divorces, I yeah, yeah. really. 
Yeah, I th- that's been happening in a few places, yep, as I recall. Exactly. No, no, trust me. I mean, being stuck with... It, so not everyone is an introvert, and not everyone likes being stuck with their spouse, like, 24-7. Right. We may... You you and I, Jack, may love our spouses very much, especially the ones that are listening right now. But um, mm-hmm. the, the truth <laughs> is, is that not everyone can spend that much time with their spouse because, you know, people, right? Um some people, sure. their relationship works well when they have to, when they spend a certain amount of time together, but not so much if they spend too much time together. It's just just the way couples right. are. Depends on, mm-hmm. um, and that's also one of the reasons why there's a huge uptick in divorces after people retire. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And actually, also after the after the kids leave home and after couples retire, those are two of the great uh, divorce periods when you get older. Uh, because suddenly it's yeah. like, oh wait, I have to spend time with this person. <laughs> I've hated you. That's for exactly years. right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So that's how it goes. Uh, that that, that reminds me of another terrible movie I just watched <laughs> called Life of the Party. Oh, that was awful. Was oh, okay. Hot, awful. That I love. I like Melissa McCarthy, and I love a good sophomore comedy like anybody mm-hmm. else, I suppose. And uh, it was just just awful. But it was the, the same kind of idea. They send off the the daughter to uh, to university, and as soon as as soon as she gets in the car to go back, the husband says, "I want a divorce." <laughs> so <laughs> there's some funny parts of it, absolutely, but there's just so many cringe worthy elements in the movie in this movie that I just I couldn't wait to couldn't wait to finish it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. That's well. I mean, I'm I'm not assuming you mean that was the cringe worthy part because that literally happens, no. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh no, that mm-hmm. wasn't the cringeworthy part at all. Right. But just to give you a hint, like so, of course, the, the the thing is that she ends up going back to, uh, to that same university. It's her alma mater to finish off her four year degree. She had to leave one year early to have the child, right? So it's, it's so she's hanging out with her daughter and her daughter's friends, and they all love her, mm. right? So she's there's there's like nobody has a problem with her there. She's like the the life of the party, and so it's always like wonderful, wonderful kind of things going on. And then the kicker at the end is she does graduate, but so does her daughter. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. This is her first year. Her daughter went through. Everybody graduates. Is that how it yeah. works you know, <laughs> in these kind of movies? It was nuts. You get a diploma, and, and you get a diploma, and you get yeah, a diploma. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. It right. It's like uh, movie logic and sophomore humor. At the end of the year, no matter where you are in your degree, you graduate. Yeah. Yep. And we have a big party. Yep. There we go. And we get back at that damn dean. Who's always a jerk? Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yep, it's 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 those worthwhile one year degrees that yeah. you can get. <laughs> That's right. Well, remember, this is the states. That's all they can afford. That's mm. right. Um, uh, the um, for for Americans <laughs> who are listening, um, our we being communists up here in Canada, our Canadian education system is somewhat subsidized. So the Amer- so the government tends to pay somewhere between forty and sixty percent of your actual bill, but you don't actually see that. So from outside perspectives, it looks like our uh, college university are actually very cheap because they are because the government's subsidizing it. Right. Well, they they give you a, a no interest loan. Mine yeah. only took ten years to pay off. <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, we're not nearely like. I, I know you're t- doing t- uh, tongue in cheek when you say communism because yes. I mean, holy crap, we're nowhere near like Germany where it's fully paid, and they are not considered mm-hmm. communist either. Well, right? in so America, they would be. You, 
Damn socialists. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Damn socialists. Damn socialists. No, no, no. The, the, in, in, in certain parts of the states, though, the, uh, the German national socialists are kind of... <laughs> thing, unfortunately. Well, as they say History right now, uh, you know, the coronavirus has made us all socialists. <laughs> there are, <laughs> the, phrase, the phrase is, there's no libertarians in medical foxholes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you know, actually, there's a huge libertarian <laughs> movement going on down the states, which basically is saying, you know, we should just let them all die, right? You know, let, let nature take its course, right? <laughs> That, that's a very logical thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let, let nature take its course. Most, I've got good health care. I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. say that till they get yeah, the sniffles. Yeah, I know. And that's right. changes. <laughs> and, or, or that they get the sniffles and then they realize that other people have good health care and they're going in before him because there's limitations. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So back to the discussion of a competition for a moment, although the US, U.S. is a beautiful um example of this um so how about don also mentioned another element to competition we should discuss which is uh, was it low intensity versus high intensity competition wasn't it yeah there's there's that there's um a lot of that comes out of the idea of uh whatever you're partaking of essentially who's sponsoring Mm -hmm. it because again, it and it and it kind of ties in with what we were just talking about. Um, the states is a good example because they're they've kind of broken politics down into its simplest form of us versus them. Mm-hmm. Be- because they essentially you have two choices right. for everything. Yes, and that's the simplest way of 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 doing it. And what you kind of start seeing is it, it goes with what we were talking about. You'll have different groups that when they're jockeying for position, like say in politics, looking Mm -hmm. for votes, they'll pick one of these sides. They'll pick one of these really complex issues and then submit it to a a yes or a no. And it's, it's, it's the old, um, the, the, the best example they always use is, well, if you're not in favor of the death penalty, that means you're okay with murder. Well, yeah. No, there's a whole bunch of other issues. No, 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 that's it. It's it's this or that. Either or, yeah. And and it's yeah, and it's it's that same idea that it goes down to to when we're partaking of of some kind of competition, mm-hmm. either watching it or participating, who's who's kind of sponsoring it and and to what end dictates kind of how intense it is. Hmm. Okay. I can see that. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, you kind of get that in school. Like, if you think, say, like, grade mm-hmm. schools, where, you know, grade school, you're one of the Borg. You're you're constantly, you know, part yes, of the yeah. class, and, and that's it. You know, did you bring enough for everybody kind of thing? Except that they still give awards for marks and stuff. Like, somebody will get, like, you know, the, the top science score award and, and things like that. Because it's that low-level competition that what you're trying to do is you've got a goal and you're using that competitive mm-hmm. nature to push kids right, to that yeah. goal you'll get the gold star if you get like this kind of, of of mark that kind of thing you know who's the fastest runner you start to see that idea put in there and again it's put in place not in and of itself it's put in place in support of another mm-hmm. idea 
And again, because of that, it tends to be low intensity. Whereas if you get to sports where the the competition is the idea, that's where you get that you know more high intensity. Because I don't have to dress it up to sell it to my audience. Right. Kind of well, thing. I mean, high intensity stuff is more dramatic, and so we we absolutely desire yeah. that. You know, it's much more dramatic and interesting. Like watching low intensity conflict generally doesn't get a lot of uh, views and clicks. It, um, you know, people are like, okay, and that's about it. But here's an interesting thing. We have been working very hard in the last decade or so to actually even remove um, competition from our schools and to minimize it, actually. I I think it's, I think that, I think that uh, Don hits the nail on the head when you compare what I was talking about with the whole win-win and then the competition. I think it literally comes down to situational Mm -hmm. that they will use social engineering to utilize uh competition when it's when they want to utilize competition best and and i i put all of these competition in quotes Mm -hmm. and cooperation in quotes because those are those are elements in nature that we would naturally use but like anything else it's really effective uh for them to decide when we want to use cooperation effectively like right now Cooperation is desperately needed mm-hmm. to be able to win this war footing against the coronavirus. Yes. So you, that's all you hear in media is talking about being cooperative to be able to do right. this, right? So that we have to think about other people, think about other people, think about other people. Well, you don't get that kind of conversation that happens in other situations. So it's all circumstantial. It's based upon when they need the society or... In this case, you know, uh, the the poor people to do whatever they want them to do. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use your mm-hmm. example and add a little to it because when you talk in in mm-hmm. school, a key to understanding this kind of thing, and we'll we'll look at grade schools, is that idea of they. Who are they? And you get it. Grade school is a good example, and it goes with what we were talking about. How your perspective kind of keys in on what you think is important because you look at say children's Mm -hmm. advocates whatever nature you want to say a lot of them will talk against competition in grade school because they say it it puts stress on young kids um when you start making them head towards goals too early it limits their creativity it kind of compresses them into a little box and this is all true and you're going to have kids especially on 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 one end of the the self-motivating mm-hmm. scale that that kind of thing is going to be terrible for. But when you go the other way, if you're like a, a teaching professional, you just want the little bastards to learn some mathematics. So if you make like, you know, a mathematics prize for the guy who does best in mathematics, well, that's going to take the kids who are more a type and maybe not as much self starters. And that's going to help them learn that stupid damn math. And what you're getting in these two kind of extreme examples Mm -hmm. is the, they are pushing a different agenda. Now they both have the well-being of the rotten little bastards in, in mind. That's their goal. But because of where they're coming from and what they're considering the most important factor, you get that weird kind of, of, of mix. You're getting what appear to be two conflicting values. Mm -hmm. And, then when I'm trying to sell it to the to the public to get funding for research or to get things changed so that, you know, what my research shows is better for the kids, 
a lot of times you'll see they'll take that angle and you'll get these two conflicting voices and then like Rob has been saying because that makes for like exciting mm-hmm. media that's what the focus will then will then right. shift to is is that competition and then what you get because one of the the hang-ups I've had for like the news and pundits and that in the last like 10 or 20 years is you get that competition but at no point does anybody really stop to weigh the uh the benefits of either side right well because often there are no real well sometimes there are benefits sometimes there aren't um i mean when you it's kind of like a horse race right you're just we're just watching the horses race it doesn't really matter which horse you had a better upbringing or whatever all we care about is which one's which one's going faster and which one's winning that's that's all that seems to be cared about well that yeah, and that's what it becomes. But again, if you use the example mm-hmm. of the kids, what you're actually talking about is a super complicated issue because there's mm-hmm. some kids that competition will yeah. do them good. There's some kids that letting them kind of do their own thing will do them good. And you never get anybody stopping to look at it mm-hmm. that way, saying, well, these kind of kids, it's this, those kind of kids, it's that. You you get nowadays that instant yeah the the horse race that that idea it's not even weighing whether or not one of them is is the better idea a lot of times what you'll see is whether or not the idea has wings it looks like the news ends up looking like a pitch meeting for for tv shows i don't know if this one will play in peoria dan you know Mm. kind of thing (laughs) but yeah i think you're right overall rob that you know there was a very definitive time back in the day Mm -hmm. when uh, teachers decided to include competition mm-hmm. in classes yeah. and then slowly try to include it more and more because you wanted them to be able to start thinking about, well, some people will want to vie for class president or right. president of the, you know, uh, th- those kind of things. So they have to get used to the idea of winners and losers. And now we're moving further and further away from that. There's a whole push against that idea, at least that generation. It may not be in society in whole, but I would say millennials onwards kind of thing, this idea of, well, it's really not fair that so-and-so gets this and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's it's interesting to see that society has been pushing the other way. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed, and again, I don't know any data to back this up, this is just an interesting observation, is, is that when we're talking about uh, teaching, say, you know, 50 years ago or something like that, um, a good majority of the teachers were male at that point. Like there was a very right. large, but over the last 50 years, what we've seen is men just exiting the teaching profession. And as we've watched men exit the teaching profession, we've seen the amount of emphasis on competition has dropped like a rock and the amount of emphasis on corporate on cooperation has gone up. I would say that there's probably been a lar- always a large element of women teachers in the younger yes. grades, but the big difference is in administration. Mm. So, so it's the focus of the school and that kind of thing that you see in the in in the younger grades, especially where there's a lot more female principals. Yes. Which mm-hmm. I mean is a great right. thing to have that variety, right? But it 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 certainly. Um, gives that sort of much more female energy all through the system at this point. Yes. And actually going back to that, no, I can tell you that, for example, in Toronto, 
uh, being Canadians and such, where the Ontario education system is plotted out and planned and everything. Like that's where, you know, the HQ is for our system. It's all women. Men have pretty much disappeared from those halls. And so going back to the idea of diversity being good is that problem. Usually we think, okay, too many men problem. Well, guess what? Too many women can also be a problem in certain situations because you, again, you're getting into that group think, right? I, this is one of those odd situations where we need more men in developing education because I think we have gotten too far. So yes, if you're a child that responds to, to more of the cooperative approach, absolutely our system is totally geared for you right now it's like 110 percent geared for you right now but if you're a child who develops best under competition our system is totally rigged against you at this point yeah there's there's another catch too because you mentioned the millennials Mm -hmm. for us old people the source of all evil there's kind of another component because in a lot of ways the the millennials are just really 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 quiet mm-hmm. beats and it's it's that idea that one of the things that you have and this is something that i know when you get to like say the uh the 70s and that when they were doing research on kids and you started to get like the warm fuzzies and this idea that pushing kids might not be like a mm-hmm. good idea was this idea of burnout because you get to a point where you're constantly being told to mm-hmm. win and this comes up this comes up a lot this this is this is going to be the old uh um like what the hell do they call that keeping up with mm-hmm. the joneses you're told to win you're told what winning is and then that just keeps feeling like it's just way 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 out of your uh way out of your 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 chances out of your possibilities mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the ideas because I know that there's a lot of talk for the millennials how they don't do things like they don't buy mm-hmm. houses. Well, right. part of the reason is because it's harder nowadays to get a job, yeah. especially especially coming into the market when you don't have any kind of like built up work history of that to get a job that lets you afford mm-hmm. that. So the problem you run into is you're constantly being told buy a damn house. But it doesn't seem possible to you. It's not something you can, like, realistically envision. And then you get that weird kind of burnout thing where you, like, you start kind of just withdrawing because you're not going to win and people aren't going to shut up about letting you Mm -hmm. win. So you kind of just want to drop out. Now, when you go to, say, like, the -hmm. the beats in the 50s and kind of going into the the 60s, that was the... That was the whole idea of of that was that they didn't want to be part of like, you know, the, the Madison Avenue plastic fantastic kind of life because they didn't see that as 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 like a life. There was also the idea that you didn't feel you're ever going to be on the board of directors because those were all like old guys who were the nephews and sons of the old guys that used to be in charge of the company before they got really old mm-hmm. and died. So that was one of the reasons going into the 60s, going into the 70s, saw like um, a fair amount of like hippies like dropping out because there there was that you couldn't see that way in. So you kind of turned your back on that whole competition. And then that was the thing that they started worrying about with, with kids going into this, the, the 70s was if you had the kid who, for instance, was kind of dumb mm-hmm. and wasn't going to get the high marks – Pushing them to keep getting high marks was just like pounding this kid's head against the right. Wall. Mm-hmm. 
Reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then it and then it runs into that that pendulum where then it becomes the horse race where you've seen this happen. You've seen kids that are just getting wrecked because of this. And then that's where all of your attention goes. That's what you feel is the big cause. Dealing with kids like that is what we should be working on. Forgetting that there are the A-type personalities that if you do that softer approach, it's going to mess them up. And then what will happen is when you get into, like, say, the late 80s going into the, the 90s kind of thing, you kind of start seeing it swinging the other way because you get that idea mm-hmm. that now people, and this is where we've we've gone back and forth again going into, like, the 2020s, that idea that we've been coddling these damn kids too much and look what they're doing. They're weak and lazy. Well... Yeah, because some of them are, and they're dying. When the issue is, it's not a matter of that one mass-produced education system. It's that you want a system flexible enough to deal with all these different kinds of kids. But we never look at it that way, because that's really hard and complicated, yeah. and it's hard to put that on a T-shirt. If your philosophy won't fit on a T-shirt, nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> well, and right. this, but the problem is, this is the approach, at least in some places, by the people who are literally in charge of developing and maintaining the educational systems. It's often not even the teachers that are, well, actually it partly is, because the teachers are being trained by the teachers' colleges, and they're being given materials and told, teach this. And so, therefore, we've got all this mm. educational development, and it's in the hands of a bunch of people who are generally subscribing to whatever the theory of the day just ten, generally tends to be, right? right. Yeah, kind of. I wouldn't say theory of the oh, day. Oh, I would. Having been through the system, I, I would. It, <laughs> oh, oh, I know. And I've, as, as an angry recluse, uh, old school cyberpunk, I'm familiar with butting heads with the system. But it's, it's what ends up happening is the, the theory of mm-hmm. the day is, again, it's that pendulum swing and it's whatever groups are currently the ones that are are making the decisions, it goes back and forth. Because again, what usually you you end up getting, and this is human weakness, is that idea that you'll see that this new idea will look like it's working for a bit, and then either you'll hit like a tipping point, or society will change, or circumstances will change, and it stops working, and then everybody gets pissed off and goes the uh, exact opposite way, and then you get right. the same thing. Well, and it goes back and forth. Right. Okay, I can I can see that. Yeah, that does make sense. I mean, I remember hmm. when my father was. Uh, we were first came out with outcome ed- education, right. which, by the way, um, was designed by a teacher. Mm-hmm originally to help with kids who were on in the learning Mm -hmm. center had a lot of mental health issues so they didn't want them to change the curriculum they wanted to have specific outcomes that would fit them but in typical fashion they went oh well this would be useful for everybody Mm -hmm. so then Mm -hmm. everything became outcome education and my father he sort of went up went up to his office and pulled out his his filing cabinet went back 15 years and found um objective uh, education which is basically the same thing renamed and then so he could already see what was going to come down the pipe 10 years from that because the 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 people that they hire to be able to tell people what to do they just sort of recycle the same things and just like okay well we've run out of this what did we do before that oh we did this let's do this call it something different pop it into place right. and uh get it you got to be able to you know pay these people <laughs> they're coming in mm. once in a while to do 
to do specific work for the school board. That's how they get paid is by the by the project. Right. right? Yeah. So, well, and there's those incentives <laughs> that exist too. And uh, and Absolutely. in the end, I mean, they don't care if if you know they might be messing with a generation's worth of kids or something like that. The important thing is that they put yeah. food on their table for their family, right? Absolutely. And so there's Absolutely. their their incentives are to do that. And right, yeah. So it it depends on your situation. Um, Korea and Japan are an interesting one. I had to jump back to Asia for a sec because I always love to do that. Um, I never no, know. no, I know, I know. It's it's very subtle. I know, um, but what you have in Korea and Japan are two countries. Uh, Korea might be the better example for this. Uh, everyone's watched Parasite recently, so they'll they'll kind of get this. Um, in Korea, um, they had a whole. Co- you had South Korea specifically. Okay, I should point this out. When North and South Korea had their little dust up, okay, and they ended up being separated into two countries by effectively China and the USA. Dust up, disagreement. Yeah. Somebody spilled the <laughs> That's sugar. Exactly you right. You know, and they just decided to go separate ways. I love, I love the understatement. The year goes to Rob Patterson. Robert Woo-hoo! Patterson. All right. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll take. I'll happily take my award. Anyway. Oh, I won. I won a. Co- I won something. Competition's awesome. Anyway. Um, no. When uh, after. So in the end, North Korea ended up with all the resources and South Korea ended up with a couple mountains, a few hills, a few cities and a few relics and um, Jeju Island, which is kind of their version of Hawaii. Um, and that was it. So North Korea or so. So South Korea is kind of like, well, we're kind of screwed. What can we do? And the answer is, what resource do we have? Do we have oil? Nope. Do we have uh, minerals? Nope. Don't have any of that uh seafood yeah we can make a bunch of seafood but that's kind of limited so what else can we do and their answer was people their answer was people so what they did is they created a society now korean society was already somewhat competitive before this but basically korean society decided we're going to quadruple down on competition like every we're going to create a society that's as close to a meritocracy as we can pull off but the focus being that humans are a resource, so therefore we're going to produce the best possible humans that we possibly can. Thank God you went that direction because I thought you were going to tell me it was Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> What's a resource? People. Soylent Green is people, Rob. Soylent Green is people. There you go. Um, okay, no, no more classic sci-fi for Jack. Anyway, um, but my, my point is, so they created a system which some people have characterized, not incorrectly, as institutionalized child abuse, where your average Korean teenager gets about four hours sleep per night between actual school and private school and studying at home and homework and everything else, literally four hours sleep a night and um, for four or five years of their life. And, but... Korea has also turned itself into one of the top 10 richest countries in the world from being a place that was essentially a bunch of hills and shacks. Uh, Singapore has a similar story where what they did is they basically said, you know, we're going to quintuple in Singapore's case down on competition. And those who are weak will be allowed to perish. Those who are not weak will lead us to the future. And it worked. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we should do, I'm, but, but, but I'm pointing out that <laughs> You know, competition 
has a lot of things to to, um, to stand for. It can be destructive. It can go lots of bad ways too. And in Korea has has sure. serious issues. Again, watch watch Parasite if you haven't. Um, but no, yet, yeah, no. do actually. It is worth watching. But we can talk more about that another time. Um, but it does overall. It it it's worked. Like they literally went from nothing to. Um, everything actually literally just by working their hardest and through absolute focus on competition so mm -hmm. it 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 does but there's catches to that too because uh there's a few countries this is kind of what what china's been running into is the other side of that is again that system works out absolutely fantastic for the people at the top who own the companies and the systems and that that all of you workers are busting your asses to get. Oh, in. you've seen Parasite. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I've no. I I I am a student yeah, exactly. of yep, I yep. know how this works. Because the same thing happened here, at, like the turn of the last mm -hmm. century, and what ends up happening, and what you're starting to see in places like China, and I think Korea is starting to do this, and Singapore is mm -hmm. starting to do this, is eventually the people the that that are that that you've been pushing to to become your highly trained highly skilled highly motivated labor force start going well why is that asshole at the top who isn't doing all that much flying around in a private jet and i'm living in my like two-room apartment and one of them is a bathroom and i'm happy for that because some people don't have that as a separate mm -hmm. room and i'm the one doing all the work what the hell and then again it forms more of those little bubbles that because society's mm -hmm. not a thing and then that goes back and forth, and eventually it shifts everything back towards those people. And again, it's that idea that circumstance mm -hmm. changes, but people don't seem to realize that. And then they get that doubling down because they pick a team. And then ah, uh, but there's don't. a catch when we're talking about places like Korea and Japan and China and Singapore. Singapore a tiny bit different. It's okay to mm -hmm. beat them. You can beat. It's okay for the cops to beat the masses. Oh yeah, totally, hundred percent. That there, there's that. Um, oh yeah, dude. Um, I want to say right now that no one in the Department of Nerdly Affairs uh, says this is a good idea that the cops beat the masses. <laughs> this is just what they know is happening. You are not endorsing cops beating. I'm assuming. I just want to point that mm -hmm. out from a legal perspective. Yeah, <laughs> and and. And if, if you're doing that, then I have to re reveal sort of that I've been on both ends of the jackboot over the course of my life. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so just, just yep. put okay. that out okay. there. And, and <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Now I remember what I was going to say. Um, so, and <laughs> to finish my thought, um, they have monocultures. Which is basically mm -hmm. what they've done is they've, they've tapped into the fact that almost all of the people in these countries are basically running on one cultural operating system. So it's very, very easy to get them to all basically agree on something and to go, yes, this is for the good of all of us because we are all one family. In fact, it's interesting, almost all, even China, even all 1.4 billion of them, well, except for those Uyghurs over there, but that's a different story. Um, we, they basically, they, if you actually talk to them, they'll say, we Chinese, they actually say that. Because mm -hmm. they view themselves, they're all Han, Chinese, which means they view themselves as one giant people. 
And the government has been very good in instilling that. And this is something that uh, I've noticed over the years, again, as a student of history as well, monocultures tend to be very good at focusing their energies and accomplishing things because you can play that game where it's like, no, what benefits one of us benefits all of us because we are all one big family. Yeah, for for a bit. But when you think of China, they're starting to have the problem that the people in the urban mm-hmm. areas oh, yeah. and the people in the rural areas are starting, they're, they're, you're starting to see that divide. Because the rural folks still aren't getting all of the information and are not getting the, the wealth trickling down like the folks in the urban right. areas. Yeah. So it's it's easier to keep them on board. But again, when you're getting that, you're, you're starting to see, to use the old Orwell mm-hmm. example, B is starting to develop in the urban centers. It is, you're right, and eventually B will replace A. There's not much question of that, but I think it's going to take a while. But even that's even happening in Korea and Japan. We've still we've seen B's pop up and and replace it. But as the as the saying goes, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know that's the way it goes. Yeah, and so. there may be a new there may be a new dad in the house because the old dad or mom got kicked out but they're still it's still a monoculture dude so they it still gives them that center that focus that direction and the ability to kind of rally everyone there's that core rallying point we are all one tribe whereas for For you say exact for now but that is one of the how can i say that it's it gives them a huge advantage it gives them a huge advantage over over multicultures in some ways. Multicultures have... In, in a material hmm? sense. What? It's a big advantage in a material sense. I Yeah. It's a problem right now with coronavirus, though, because mm-hmm. because when you have a monoculture, then the government, to- the top-down uh, idea of w- what we are and what we believe and what is happening doesn't necessarily reflect what's actually happening on the ground. <laughs> so you can actually... Uh, harm your society more by saying of course we're not having a virus attack mm-hmm. right uh that's happening and 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 that silencing of what's happening on the ground also it also uh it impedes uh innovation too to a certain degree and that's one of the big mm-hmm. arguments that the united states has had about against communism and it's a good yeah, argument for the true. longest it's time is that it, it does impede. It does impede. Oh, oh, yeah. Monocultures are innovation. not good for innovation. I would actually argue that that they're not actually, um, yeah. because exactly. that that is one where going back to my point about some there are situations where diversity of thought and diversity of idea are actually the definitely the better way to go, or at least they have strong advantages. Sure. Mm-hmm. I should say they have both sides have their advantages both. and disadvantages. Yeah. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Although I'm going, if you're going to play the coronavirus card, two of the best countries and they can't, the WHO can't stop falling over each other for talking about the two best countries for dealing with the coronavirus right now. They are South Korea and Taiwan, both of which are monocultures, both of which are Asian monocultures, and both of which, unlike China, basically said, you know, we're going to be completely open and about this. Here's what we're, here's how we all together are going to solve this problem. And they've done excellent yes. jobs of solving it. They've got rates that are a fraction of what everywhere else does. And those are the real numbers. They're not faking them for the most part. Like Korea has been very transparent no, about it. So is Taiwan. Super ty- transparent, in fact. Mm-hmm. It's the countries that are so terrified of it destroying their economy and everything else that aren't open about it and aren't focused that they're the ones, Europe, 
you know, uh, Middle East, etc., and China that are that are actually in America that are having the most problem with it at the most point. And this is one of those areas. Although going back to your one of your earlier points, Jack, just to deviate again, because this this whole episode is completely about deviation. Uh, it's, it's all it's almost sure. like a. <laughs> It's almost like a Mad Libs episode about um, about with competition being the theme. Um, yeah, we, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of deviants talking, so it makes. Well, that's sense. true. That's so. absolutely true. <laughs> um, <laughs> Moving on, I knew you'd like that yeah, one, Doug. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but they were, I was listening to a thing on the CBC where they were talking about um, infectious talking. Sorry, to the, I was listening to the CBC this morning where they were talking to a div, infectious disease expert and. And one of the things he was talking about is is that the coronavirus has actually brought together big pharma and governments and labs literally all over the world. Like it's as he was basically saying, it's taken a thousand silos of all these people that were doing research and they were all doing it on their yes. own and they were and they were barely sharing data with each other and it's broken them down and so they're all they're all collaborating to with each other on a level that literally humanity has never seen before. Like right. you, we've literally got almost all of humanity, at least in this one field, all these researchers that working together and it will not only solve the coronavirus, yep. it will probably end up solving and making new huge discoveries that we never would have discovered if all of humanity wasn't actually working together for once and not just in comp- direct competition with each other to go against what Absolutely. I was just talking about in some ways, but it goes both ways. Um, well, I think you, you still, you went back to what that, that original thing that we've sort of been circling around and talking about is mm-hmm. that the idea of competition, the idea of of uh, collective working together, is all smokescreens used by society in one way or another to try to get the best out of the people. Okay, depends on what you see as best, but yes, I can see that. Yeah, we're... from their perspective, right? From the perspective of what yeah. do we need people mm, to that's do? That's true. What do we need people in society we to will do? Support, yeah. We will support, what, whether it's through our media, through um, entertainment, whatever, the idea of competition, because that's what we want to represent in our society, then competition will be the thing that we want to represent the largest. If we have a, a disaster situation like the coronavirus mm-hmm. or further, go further back, World War II, one of the World War II, uh, if you go back and listen to old-time radio, which I do all the time, they don't talk about individualization as much as they say it's your responsibility to not use all these materials, to go and recycle rubber, to not take as much sugar, to we all work together because we're all Americans. That collectiveness idea uh, comes in when it's really important for society to focus on that. And it's amazing how how um, society responds to that in 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 it and suddenly like i said suddenly everybody is talking about working together because we have to mm, yeah well because it's in our self-interest it's cooperation is it though because it, it's not in the self-interest of an entire generation to uh to do everything about this because as far as they're concerned the coronavirus will really affect them for the most part. There's a whole bunch of kids that uh, could be walking around with the coronavirus and not even know because they're young enough. It's not going to make any kind of a difference. So when we say it's 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 not so much self, it is thinking about our grandparents mm, yeah. or our you know our the older generation one way or another. This is not uh, 
it's not the same kind of thing like a flu that that might take out anybody. Mm-hmm. This 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 has been shown to make very big differences based on the generations. So that's why people are saying no 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 no. And by the way, I just found out today. Mm-hmm. My son was telling me that um, EB Games just released a, a game and there were still lineups. Oh, yeah. That was last week, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the game was or whatever, but... Uh, Actually, it was so... two games. <laughs> there was... One was, uh, was a new version of Animal Crossing, and then there was the oh, okay. new... Was it, I think it was Doom. I think it was Doom Eternal. Oh, I've seen all that on online. People were talking about yep. it. Okay. Yeah. So, again, it... it those that's society as a whole and we all know that you know society has counter versions of all these things too so while there is a bunch of people claiming that we need to have competition there's just an equal or an opposite force maybe not equal but a smaller force talking about cooperation Mm. and if we did the same thing there would be the opposite as well in those those things because nobody likes a vacuum kind of thing Mm -hmm. well you guys have hit upon the uh, the second factor that's that's a big one in the nature of competition and how we view mm-hmm. competition going all the way back to the beginning and that's you're kind of bumping into the idea of the dilemma of the right. commons right and that's that's the idea dilemma of the commons is the idea that it's a problem that if we all pool together we have a better chance of dealing with it than if we're all kind of protecting our own self-interest uh the experiment they did was the the classic one is you get a bunch of kids Mm -hmm. and you put like a a bowl of candy in front of them and you can say you can help yourselves to the candy and what's going to happen is every like 10 minutes we'll come back and we'll refill Mm -hmm. the bowl provided there's still candy left in it which means if all of the kids just take say like one piece and you have like one extra piece basically for, per kid or just a couple per kid and everybody takes one 10 minutes everybody gets yeah. more candy but what tends to happen is people will get nervous or they'll get greedy that there's not going to be more and the kids will start grabbing some of the others and eventually it's just a mad scramble and then like there's no candy left and then nobody gets more I've candy because it's done with marshmallows they do this experiment all the time and I heard that there's no group of kids that's ever gotten past five yeah, because what what they discovered rounds, by is the way, yeah. there's anyway. Yeah, wow. there, there there there's only one way that you really kind of win at the dilemma of the commons, and they've discovered it's if there's strong leadership. Yeah, right. If there's somebody who ends up basically taking over and saying, "Okay, one now, we'll time it, we'll get more," and they take control. Another aspect of that is what you guys were getting at: if there's an external threat. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that's really obvious to the whole group. That it's it's not that I can say hoarding butt wipe doesn't make me immune to 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 the virus right. kind of thing. <laughs> but it's obvious that if we all pool our our information together, we're each going to gain something from the others, and we're going to directly benefit. Those are the only kind of circumstances the human brain really wins at the dilemma of the mm-hmm. commons. Right. Yeah. Left to our own devices, we will fill our storeroom with butt wipe for no real reason. Yeah. Well, there are people. This is what happened to Easter Island, yeah. right? Well, that's what that's what they think. Yeah, yeah. that that they uh, they burnt through all their trees because they used them for uh, 
it, it was for wasn't it transporting the heads? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they think that they used the trees to transport the heads, and the heads were like ancestor gods, and everybody wanted more of them and bigger ones because that gave you a better connection to the afterlife. So everybody just went batshit insane. And when they started noticing there were more trees, everybody just started fighting over trees and grabbing yep. more of them, and then yep. they were fucked. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's a hardware problem, by the way. That's 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 just the way our brains work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's an issue with the way humans process. Because there are people I saw on um, Reddit, I saw people who literally went into like dollar stores down the states and literally bought their entire stock of like toilet paper and other sanitary stuff and just literally loaded onto a truck mm. and drove away. That yeah. that kind of thing happened more than a few times. It's like, and people were trying to shame them by filming them and stuff. And the people were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and they just piled their, piled in their giant oversized pickup truck and off they went. It's like. what? And that guy who spent all that money oh, on. Oh yeah, on, there's him. Uh, yeah. Oh, just, what was it? What was it? The, the hand sanitizer. Oh, like yeah. he bought the entire state's worth of hand sanitizer. He was trying to sell them for ridiculous prices on Amazon and he shut them down. <laughs> right it's like that's now yeah. of course he's still gonna sell them but certainly not in the numbers he thought he would so yeah because that starts bumping into one of the uh the other sides of all of these weird psychological effects is that if you're say somebody mm-hmm. in authority now if you came from say the business mm-hmm. world Stuff like that was is was perfectly acceptable, right? It was it was it's it's just cornering a market. That that and then I can charge whatever mm-hmm. I want. That's just right. how it goes. But then when you're looking at something like this, now you've got to mitigate that against the the harm that it's going to do, even to your prospective audience right, kind yeah. of thing. It's right. true. It's very true. And then and then that leads to, to a weird kind of internal cognitive dissonance for folks who generally are immune to such things, it mm-hmm. seems. <laughs> yes. Well, I... So how, do you, how do you fix it? Hmm, good question. Um, <laughs> this is where we get into the... Keep people afraid? Mm-hmm. Is that like 1984? As long as you keep people afraid, you can constantly keep driving them to whichever... Uh, extreme you want extreme competition extreme cooperation yeah and 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 it keeps the problem going the the only solution that i can see to any mm-hmm. of this and it ties it, it ties in I'm, i'll give it to you the other way around but i've always said that human beings are stupid yeah. like we we are terrible our brains don't work we we can't think our way out of paper bag we make bad decisions and the specific flavor of stupid that we human beings are is we lack imagination because imagination is what lets you solve these problems it's what saves you it's what lets you understand things beyond what's right in Mm -hmm. front of your face like the 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 butt wipe example from like a week ago where people were hoarding like toilet paper that's a great example because there was absolutely no mm-hmm. reason to think there was going to be a shortage. But when people saw it flying off the shelves, they couldn't wrap their head around that. They just said, yeah, butt wipe is gone. It's the same thing that happens every year. Whatever the new toy yeah, craze much, is, yep. right? If I want to go out and I want to get like a, 
you know, don't touch me Elmo for, for my late grandkid. They're all sold out at Christmas. Yes. And then a month later, there'll be tons of them in the shelves again. They're going to make more. There's no reason to think mm-hmm. that the, the don't touch me there. Elmo doll is just completely going out of production and there'll be none left. Even if you wait that time, you can get one for half price from one of the assholes that bought 10 of them and was hoarding them. <laughs> but, but we don't have that capacity for imagination. We can't put, that as much value into the what could mm-hmm. be's or what's I'm not com- immediately staring at that always takes precedence in our brain and in part it's because of you know the the fight or mm-hmm. flight thing we're we're wired to run away or stand our ground one or the other it's not fight flight or maybe I should ponder mm-hmm. the situation and the only thing that the only thing that gets you around that the only thing that takes you that extra step or that extra two steps is if you've got the imagination to see value in things that are not right in front of you. Well, we're not long-term thinkers, that's for sure. No. Oh, that's, ex- yeah, definitely. That's absolutely true. I, I think probably, I mean, the closest thing we've come to harnessing or balancing out exactly what we're talking about is probably capitalism in some ways. Like capitalism is the best system we've come up with for kind of harnessing and the free market economy and uh, democracy, I mean, going all putting all those together are really the best system we've managed mm. to come up with. It's not a perfect system. It has very large flaws, but it, it does seem to be the best system we've come up with for harnessing human nature and the way humans actually work. Because without yes. those, because otherwise we the otherwise we end up with extremes like communism or we end up with uh you as you pointed out the only way the tragedy of the common works is if someone takes control yeah but that quickly leads to a strongman situation where we have a dictator suddenly but and sometimes that's the right way to do it i mean without dictators oh let's call them kings for like most of human history mm-hmm. we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today like someone did have yeah. to take charge right otherwise shit just didn't get done and you know, ninety nine percent of human history, there was no democracy. It really was dictators, or again, kings, queens, emperors. Call them what you want to. And that's maybe yeah. why global warming is such a problem. Is we need stronger action, right? You need somebody like a king that sits there and says, "Yeah, we're not doing this anymore." What? What? No. Yeah, you can't. Do yeah, that. you have to do it some other way, and that's a problem because once you start walking down that mm-hmm. road. Who's going to give up that power, right? Not uh, Xi Jinping or yeah. Vladimir Putin. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, because again, it's it's that imagination to see the value of things not for. Because you mentioned capitalism, mm-hmm. and that comes about because you have the rise of a merchant class, and the rise of a merchant class comes about because you have increases in technology that lets trade happen over large areas. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And the problem that we run into nowadays is that capitalism is the best we, 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 we have at the moment, but it has one really huge flaw that most people can't see, and that's it only works until somebody mm-hmm. wins. As soon as somebody wins, they become the new king. That's, right. yeah, a bit of a problem. And pro- yeah. And it is because, again, people can't see that. They, 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 they don't have like you know the imagination and part of imagination is curiosity to find out why does Mm -hmm. that happen and you end up going back to what we were talking about all along the capitalism thing is a great example because 
if it comes up in conversation, it's it's either going to be people say, it's the best system, nobody should interfere with it, it's perfect, just the way Jesus intended when he handed uh-huh. it down to us, and then you get and then you get the other side, it's like, it's bad, and it's horrible, and it's just how the rich keep their foot on the throats of the people. Well, both of those are wrong, because they're looking at tiny little facets of it, and because we don't have the imagination to put those together and see the big mm. picture, we get all these weird problems that we are, as as a species, kind of incapable of dealing right. with. Yeah, I, I gotta mention that the, the whole unseen hand of capitalism is very religious in its own way, when you think about it, mm-hmm. right? You know, the idea that it will, you know, of the markets yeah. or the unseen hand of yep, the market yep. will, will always self-correct. There's no evidence of that particularly to be uh, a thing that will happen um, or if it in its correction that it won't like destroy society in the meantime. But like you said, it's it's understanding when capitalism works really mm-hmm. well and when heavy or, or good regulation from a government is needed yeah. is the trickiest thing in the world. Yep. And it also changes based upon the needs of the society. Yeah. So the regulations that mm-hmm. you have in this generation may not at all fit with the regulations in this generation or the non-regulations of this generation. We really do need the regulations in this generation. Technology, social norms, all those things dictate those kinds of wisdom. And this is where you know, one of the arguments of having like a wisdom class mm-hmm. kind right. of thing that, mm-hmm. that, that should come up and, and think about these things better off. So, yeah. Because you know, you know what came about as the correction for capitalism? Mm-mm. What? What? Democracy. <laughs> yeah. People often say that... democracy is the same as capitalism. No, no it's not. they're different. No, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's the patch for it because what ended up happening is you had the, the rise of the mm-hmm. merchant class. Right. And they basically, because they controlled all the resources, they became the, uh, the, the de facto ruling mm. party. You still had the right. royalty. But if the royalty couldn't talk the merchants into, like, funding their wars, they were Mm -hmm. useless. Right. And what ended up happening is once people started winning, and this is, again, what you started seeing in the 1700s, the 1800s, especially in a lot Mm -hmm. of places, was that when these merchants would become rich, they would create their own empires, and then they could do whatever they wanted to the workers, and then what happened is you got democracy as a form of government that the ideal was that you tied the well-being mm-hmm. of the people in charge directly to the well-being of the masses. That's what democracy mm-hmm. does. A- and then the government would become the stick of the people that they would use to keep the, keep the, the merchant class, as it were, the, this rising you know, aristocracy, to help keep them in mm-hmm. line. And then the idea was that that conflict between, say, government and mm-hmm. business would work out good for the masses. But again, like Jack said, it takes on this like kind of religious sort of thing and people start picking a side. You're either pro government or you're pro pro business. And the problem is as soon as that happens, now they can both fuck you and we need a correction for the two of them now, but we haven't come up with anything yet. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because that's one of those cases competition was supposed to save us because business and government were supposed to be competing against each other for our hearts and, and dollars, as it were. But 
because people again kind of lack imagination and fell asleep mm-hmm. at the wheel they both kind of carved out their own kingdoms and it's again goes back to orwell's a yeah. b and c right yeah but in that system c never manages to get power c is always just bystanders while a and b just fight over who's in control well well kind of in in, in his example c is literally yeah. the masses it's it's yeah. the proles and what keeps what happens especially if you look at say business versus government what happens a lot of the time is c the 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 proles us end up becoming the bludgeon that they use against each other when it should be the other way around yeah and they they utilize competition uh in 1984 with oceana and all the other you know supposed enemies and their enemies now and their allies later when they become valuable in one way or another yep Mm -hmm. well just like the real world which is the point yeah. Mm-hmm. On that note, actually, I'm afraid that um, some of us are in competition with sleep. So I'm afraid we're gonna have to br- we're gonna have to bring <laughs> this uh, meandering, th- meandering, wandering episode to a uh, halt. So um, I think we've covered things pretty well, though. I think that's actually uh, I-, I think that we've looked at competition from many different angles, and we've come up with some good ideas mixed in with a lot of uh, meandering. So again. Thank you so much, Jack, for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on, as Thanks usual. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, and yeah, it's good to be exactly. back. Well, hopefully you'll be coming back <laughs> again soon. Um, thanks, Don, for uh, providing your wisdom and insight. And thank you, listener, for listening to us ramble on for a little while. If you have thoughts about competition and its place in society, or have heard anything else that attracts your attention, please drop by obeythedna.com for show notes, to leave a comment, um, and to tell us how wrong we very are. Or how, whichever. <laughs> anyway, so thanks for listening, folks. Good night. Night now. Fight the power, man. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember. The to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!